We just hit record and we are back on the protectors and I have the man, the myth, the legend, David Temple. And one thing I love about David Temple is his voice. What's going on, David Temple? Man, I, I'm just trying to get a, I'm a squirrel trying to get a nut. <laughs> What's going so on? It's so good to see you. I've been following your podcast and uh, your TV appearances. And first of all, thank you for your service. And, um, Second of all, just keep up the great work. No, I appreciate the sport. And I, and I follow you and I listening to podcasts and trying to perfect this podcast game. And I mean, you can, you can never perfect it, but try to get back at it is listening to your voice makes me change my voice. You could tell how my voice changed a little bit when we we're having to like the pre-interview to now. I'm like, I got to talk more like David Temple. That is so funny. <clears throat> Dude, this thing changed in fifth grade. that's part of my story i'll I'll tell you one day but basically it was just you know you're a geek at fifth grade at least i was and all of a sudden my voice just went ping over the summer and from then on um it was just game on i knew what i i knew what i wanted to do like in fifth sixth grade and i'm like i gotta use this thing so i might have to hire you to do the intro to my podcast like welcome to the projectors podcast now you you have one of the best podcasts out there because it really does focus on the thriller genre and it's there's so many good authors on there and it, it just it goes all over the place and I love it. But the thing is your voice your 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 masterful work of getting that from audio to video and getting that to the to the people you were entertaining is it's very cool. So your background was radio and now you're into this podcast world. So I want to get into the backstory of Dame Temple. Well, I, I will say this. I, I was thinking about this this past weekend as I was working in the yard. I thought it's really interesting, Jason, that I I knew from fifth grade I wanted to be on the radio. I, and I just worked all through high school to get to that end. I had my first radio job before I got out of high school. And then I had this great career. I went from little town in Lynchburg, Virginia to Virginia Beach. And then I got discovered, went to Detroit, then Chicago, then to L.A., then to New York, then back to L.A. and out to Charlotte. And um, as I was beginning retirement and I just thought I what I was thinking this past week and how funny it was that I, I went that whole trajectory in radio, took time off to do some acting and television and film in Los Angeles. And then kind of retired. And 20 years after giving up radio, I'm back in podcasting because podcasting really is my ultimate favorite thing in the whole world to do. I love to write, but I think I like podcasting that much more. Yeah. Podcast is cool because I get to talk to different people. And I think that's the same way with you too. And, And coming from that writing world, and writing the thrillers, writing with the different protagonists and stuff. It must be kind of neat to like get ideas and pick up, pick other authors' brains while you're doing it. Yeah, I think my favorite thing is we're getting access, especially in these days of Zoom. We're getting access that we would never have had before. Um, I've got a couple of guys coming on in June that will be game-changing for me, and I will mention them later because I'm, I'm saving a big 
build up for it. But the access is great. And um, there's a couple things if you listen to my show, I do all the time. And a lot of people go, I mean, my, my, you know, the voice on my shoulder says, why do you keep doing that? I'm like, well, there's a few things that always works. And uh, I'm going to, I would ask you the same thing. You know, I always wrap up with you're an author. What's the best piece of advice? Cause everybody's got a little piece of advice, <clears throat> but everybody's got one particular taste uh, or twist on it that theirs is a little bit different. And that's been one of my favorite things is finding out what's your secret, what's your secret. Uh, plus all the silliness and fun we have. I, I try never to take it too seriously and not do, you know, pull out the list of, so tell me about this protagonist and this antagonist. You know, I just, my, I, I plan a lot, prepare a lot so that the, casualness and effortlessness looks like that excellent excellent points casual conversation yeah. i think that's the best thing about this podcast and your podcast it's just having to talk yeah and see where it goes like you know me i make notes in the beginning uh we went over the notes and then we we start talking but sometimes i'm just like hey you know what whoever's well, let's just talk like when I watch your stuff, I always, I instantly go to something that I know nothing about. And I hate to admit this because I feel like less than a guy, but I don't know much about guns. I happen to have two guns uh, purely for sport and defense, but I don't know. I don't have anywhere near the knowledge you have. And I, and I watched, I watched the other day, you're in your car and you pull out a new Walther, right? And I'm like, look at the size of that thing. And I I'll instantly go, I want to ask Jason. Where did you get it? Why did you get it? What does it shoot? What, what's the bullet like? What's the kickback like? How, what is it like to carry? All those things that my mind don't know, doesn't know anything about, I want to know. Well, I'll tell you that right now. Do it. You see, I was never, I, I can't say I was never, I was always a gun person. I didn't grow up with guns. My parents never had a gun. There was never a gun near the house. I remember once um, I found it an old toolbox that my grandfather had, my step-grandfather, and there was a bullet in it. And I was like, wow, I wonder if that, they're what the type of gun it was. But I've always been into the military and law enforcement and everything. So I remember I, I pestered my dad every single day for two years to get a gun. When I was 12 to 14, I was like, dad, can I get a gun? No, no, no. And then I finally got a 22 when I was 14, and then I got a shotgun later on. Then I went into the service, and that's all I had back when I was a kid, a 22 and a shotgun. And then when I went into service, I started picking up a couple guns here and there, a pistol. And I still have my old shotgun from when I was a kid, my 22. Nothing really big. Picked up a lever action later on. But then I, you know, when I got into law enforcement, I started carrying the guns. I was like, oh, I got work guns and stuff. That's cool. I don't really, you know, when you're pulling guns on people all the time, you're just it kind of loses the effect of the reason you're carrying guns after I got back from the war, I was like, you know what? I'm good. I don't need to buy anything new at that time. I probably had five or six guns. And then about I don't know, six, seven years ago, I started like really hitting the paper and hitting the range and finding out you can be like really, really good at something. So let's, let's look at it this way. Let's say you're great. You're 40, 50 years old. And you find out one day like, damn, I'm really, good at a 5k so i'm gonna start running all the time and i'm gonna train myself to run all the time right what else can i do should i buy a different pair of shoes that's gonna make me do it is that something that's gonna be fun so when i buy a different gun now like this walther 
I want to take something new. I, like I'm going to, I'm going to take it to the range. I took tomorrow off just so I could do this. I'm going to take it to the range. I'm going to put it in a holster. I'm going to load up mags. I'm going to draw and fire it. Having never shot this gun before and see what it does. Yeah. And it's a nine millimeter. It's not, it's not a crazy, it, there's a lot of kickback in it, but it's fun. I like to see what I could do with the guns and I like building them. If you ever like to do a puzzle, try building a rifle and putting all the little pieces of parts that you want into it. It's like fixing up an old car. Okay. Remember we used, we used to do that when we were kids. Let's say you're, yeah. I had an old, uh, and you're always buying this aftermarket stuff or fixing up the engine. Now take a gun and saying, okay, I want to put a different trigger in it, put different springs in it. There's, it's the same thing. That's one of the funniest thing about guys and guns is it really is the, uh, uh, the customization of everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just want that 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 really special trigger, or I want. The, you were talking about the optics. Hey, what yep. should I get? And I'm like, I just find that so fascinating. But it really is you. You're taking hot hobbies to a next level, right? And if I got you to the range, I guarantee you, you would have fun. One, I've after being safe and being safe all throughout the whole thing, and you'd probably be like, you know what? I wouldn't mind getting a 22. I wouldn't mind getting a rifle. A lever action. Lever actions are remember westerns, and now you have the western gun. Not much has changed over the past two hundred years, or hundred something years, and you're just having fun. And I love high caliber guns. Like I like feeling when that gun shoots and I hits my shoulder, and I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't they, know, man. You know, you, have, you made a comment that I thought of. My folks. Well, I grew up uh, in a. I'm a preacher's kid, so my dad never had a gun. Guns weren't allowed in the house. I I finally got a BB gun one year, and this will tell you what it was like in my house. Mom made us go to the door and empty out the BB gun. You're not bringing a loaded gun. Mom, it's a BB oh. gun. You're not bringing a So that's what I grew up with. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, and now, like, with my son, I'm like, I don't let his friends – ever see any of my guns like if you come to my house it's hard to tell that i'm law enforcement it's hard to tell that i have any guns anywhere you would have to go and like there might be a safe but you can never there's there's nothing anywhere in my house outside of my office here that's secured that you could find a gun yeah uh you before we started the show <laughs> you spun your camera around and i was like i was i was blown away no pun intended that was it's impressive collection I like how you turn the tables on this conversation to be the antagonist <laughs> asking me the questions. Sorry, occupational hazard, babe. I I do the same thing whenever I get on radio shows. I'm like, look, 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 tell me about you. Like, I'm I don't want to want to hear about me. All right, one more question about you before we move on. Um, you you do a whole lot of TV appearances. Mm-hmm. Question A: How did you get that gig? And B. Do you get nervous to this day as much exposure as you've had to this day? Do you get nervous about, oh, what will I say or will I say the wrong thing? Or what if I get pinned in this corner? Does it matter? Well, I had that touchy topic of being a whistleblower back in the day. And that got me onto TV. The first time I went on there, I was so nervous. And I remember I was was in the back of the green room and someone was like, look, when you get up there, they're going to hammer you. You just some random other guests. You got to get whatever you're going to say, get it out there. Cause you don't know when they're going to cut you off. I didn't realize there was different types of guests. Yeah. I was going on to be a guest for them. I wasn't going on to be like argumentative or anything. So I'm just sitting there. I'm like, blah, blah, blah. 
about five or six episodes in, I was like, eh, okay, I know what I'm talking about. I, I have my my bullets I want to get across. I practiced the night before. I got away from mainstream media because it's like you become a talking point. So I've been doing the court TV thing. And I'm, I've been on there about 64, 65 times now. And after a while, I don't, I don't get nervous at all anymore. I just sit here and I'm like, actually, as soon as the camera goes off, I'm like playing with my phone. I'm like, do And then it comes back on. But once in a while, like if I think about how many people are watching, I kind of get a little freaked out. Yeah, you can't do that. <clears throat> a rule yeah. of thumb I used when I started in radio at 16 years old, I, I envisioned my mom and my dad sitting at the kitchen table where we always had breakfast, turning the radio on. That's That was my image then, and I held that throughout my entire career, talking to a breakfast table full of a family. And that I think that held me in good stead. You know, one thing I do want to know about, I got to stop saying that. If you ever, anybody ever listens to my radio, I always say this one thing. I'm like, I listen, there's a ton of things I want to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do want to know radio. You know, podcasting's easy. We're not live. Sometimes when I go live, it's easy. But I, but radio, knowing that you're going to be live and keeping that from happening, keeping that dark, that black, that dark space, wherever you call it, the, the ums, the ahs, and the blank space. When you yeah. got into radio, what was that like? Well, I got in at 16. Well, <clears throat> it was music, primarily music-centered. Everything had to constantly be moving. That's the key to radio. Everything is moving. Song ends, time check, weather, traffic, move, break, everything. Your whole life it revolves around the clock and it's hilarious because I can tell you at any time of the day, what time it is within three minutes, just about um, it's there's some kind of a thing built into my head. I can wake up in the middle of the night. I can tell you exactly what time it is. So you're, you're always, you're always thinking about being concise, which is why when you hear my show, I edit very little of my show. And, and the reason I'm able to do that is because I've had to keep the show going live, like you said, live and on the spot from the moment I flip that microphone open at 6 a.m. or 530 in some cities to the minute I shut it off at 10 o'clock. And that thing, that train never stops. So it's it's a it's a muscle memory thing, Jason. It's just it's kind of what you learn. Um, it's like you shooting a gun and me cracking a mic. Um, and the beautiful thing about podcast is, and it's such a luxury for me to do a recorded. Matter of fact, I was watching you one day and you, oh yeah, because <clears throat> I get alerts when you go live. So I'm like, oh, Jason's going live again. And I thought, why don't I go live? Live doesn't freak me at all. Matter of fact, I'm thinking about going live because I can move at twice the speed especially if my I'm building a new studio. So that studio will be kind of wired to where if I want to go live, it's just, it's all at my fingertips. I don't have to think twice about it. The only problem is, and, and, and take this in the best way that I mean it. Authors generally speaking are more reclusive. They're more reserved. They're quieter. They're more thoughtful and they don't move at the speed that I do. So I have to always kind of, you know, push and pull. And a lot of people get nervous at live 
I mean, they get really nervous in life. I, I, I'm not that way. If you, I can, I can speak to a group of ten people or ten thousand. It doesn't make any difference to me. It's, it's all the same thing to me. You know, ten people or ten thousand. Now, put yourself in front of people. What's your nerves like then? Like real same, people. Same thing. Uh, I, uh, I've never ever suffered stage fright. I don't. Now, if, if you put me in front of people and you're going to ask me questions or you're going to talk about a topic that I don't have knowledge of, I'm not interested. Because, like, don't get me talking about politics or religion because it's just almost always going to end bad. <laughs> yeah. That's it. If you want to talk about your book or you want to talk about music or you want to talk about television or TV series or films or gardening or guns or fill in the blank. That's one thing. Um, like I was, Tammy and I were watching um, some program recently. It was a news program, and somebody was being pushed into the corner on politics. And I started sweating. I'm like, "You that now that freaks me out." Not being able to know exactly, like if you ask me, a lot of the top ten things that are happening in the world today, I might. I might hit five or six of them. I, I can't tell you that I'm going to ace 10 of them. Does that make sense? No, it makes a lot of sense. And you, I'll bring it back to when you asked me about being on the media and being on TV is that I have the facts that I know, and I don't like to talk about things I have no clue about. And I've had, it's only happened to me twice out of the 24, 25 different TV, TV appearances I had. It happened to me twice where two of the, two of the hosts try to get me backed in a corner by politics i'm like can't tell you about that and they're like uh i'm like you can ask me about this but i'm not gonna now nah, because they're just trying to get sound bites and that's why you got to watch out i caution anybody that does mainstream to, to watch out to become a sound bite uh that's another thing you, you know in this day of cutting and pasting and tiktok and instagram you have to you have to be prepared in a way that we weren't prepared back in you know the past. And uh, I, I just had a correspondence with one of my oldest best friends yesterday. I haven't spoken to him in forever, but <laughs> I texted him something about the price of, we had just filled up the vehicle and it was $123 and change oh. for one fill up. And I sent a photograph because I haven't talked in a while. I'm like, hey, how about this? Ouch. And he wrote back and he went down, uh, a political road. And I said, dude, we'll remain friends. If you stop with the politics and religion, other than that, how's your life going? <laughs> Just uh, not going to do it. Just not going to do it. Yeah. I don't know if a lot of people are realizing that are quote unquote friends on Facebook, but I've been deleting and removing and getting rid of anybody from either side of the party. Uh, Cause I'm like, hey, listen, I have my professional life and I have my Facebook life and I have this and that. And social media is a, a weird animal. Now, are you doing any like hardcore social media? Are you doing anything outside of uh, how are you promoting your podcast? I'll be honest with you, dude. <clears throat> I'm on Twitter as both myself and as the Thriller Zone, but I spend more time on the Thriller Zone because, frankly, my real life isn't that interesting. <laughs> and Instagram, um, you know, there was those days when my wife and I first got together, because I, I married way late in life. And so I was I was so ecstatic because I found this dream girl. 
who is the best thing I've, she is the best thing I've ever done. So I was like, Oh my God, look, we're here and we're doing <laughs> that and so forth. But then after a while I was like, you know what, this is my life. And so no, in fact, rambling, it's, it's all about the thriller zone. Um, almost exclusively Facebook scares the shit out of me. To be honest with you. I don't, yeah. I don't really get it. Uh, I'm always being sold something. A lot of the friends that I was friends with, we don't really keep in touch with, so I'm not going to be a uh, faux friends with you. Um, yeah. No, it's the same thing. And you know, Instagram, I went through probably about when I first made the account, uh, when I first started going really public, I went back and scrubbed a lot of my family out of it. And probably about four months ago, I actually went back and scrubbed every footprint of a family in there. So I don't want pictures of my kids, wife, anything in there. I just take it all out. Same thing with Facebook. I don't post anything about my family anymore. Unless it's something like I took a picture of my son when he was eight years old and now he's 14. So, I mean, there's not, you know, social media has its demons and there's a lot of interesting people out there. But I, I guess- do want- I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I guess I wonder why Jason, and I hope this makes sense. Uh, what's the use of a lot of it? Uh, and I don't mean that casually or lightly, but I'm, I really do catch myself more and more. Like even in the last couple of months, I've gotten to the point where, why do I, I don't care. I mean, it, Um, You and I were talking before we started the show and we were talking about how much work it takes to have a podcast that really is good and that really works. And it takes a lot of time and a lot of energy to really make it polished. And you and I want to write books. So if we're putting 80% of our time on the podcast, that's only 20% on our writing. And that's, those numbers aren't going to work. So I'm trying to come to that balance. Um, but to put out one episode, both audio and video, like I do once a week, you know, it, it takes work. You know, the only thing social media is good for is promoting your podcast and promoting your brand. Like me, I'm because I'm retiring, I have to make I'm rebuilding a brand. Who is this guy? Dr. Eastbill. Same thing with you is like, you know, going on the different aspects you have of your life, the podcast, the acting, the writing. Who is David Temple? It's your brand. It's, but outside of that, I wouldn't even be on social media. It's not fun. Um, Twitter is a, a mess. I like to go on there, but there is good things about social media is I can pull guests. But after a while, you don't really have to pull guests anymore. So I have been very lucky in that regard, Jason. Um, I have now gotten, I, I, I think I can say this confidently. I've gotten to the point where I have publishing companies and agents and so forth. They're just coming to me automatically and going, Hey Dave, so-and-so we're going to send you the book. What do you think? And and that, that only comes from doing the work day in and day out and day in and day out. And uh, I'm very blessed that way. And like I said, with some of the folks coming up this summer, that would never have happened. Uh, outside of being on the radio. I mean, and that's the other thing that's really frustrating to me. The thing I love about radio loved about radio is that if you and I, uh, if I had you on my show on a, on a Monday morning in New York, that was my last big show, number one country show in America. And you came in and you're talking about your book and you and I went out to dinner last night at John's rib shack. 
Okay. Well, the fact that I mentioned John's Rib Shack and I'm talking about your book, your books are going to sell. They're going to start selling instantly. John is going to love me because he's going to get so much traffic that came in from that mention. Bless you. Which also tells me that I never have to probably pay at John's Rib Shack ever again. I miss that that connection, that instantaneous spontaneity and magic. Whereas podcast, it's it's not you know quite the same thing until you're at the level of the Joe Rogans and now the what did I tell you before we started the Conan show? right. Conan O'Brien, a five-year, $150 million deal with Sirius. $150 million. Now, that's where I'd like to be back because I I deserve that. I'm, that sounds yeah. really cocky. I don't mean that cocky. I mean, I, des- I spent 25 years of my life working to that end. That's all I wanted to do. So, yeah, I intend to be there. It's just a matter of when. I think you have a lot of frustration that, many of us podcasters do is like you're grind, you grind and grind, you hustle, you hustle, you hustle. And it eventually does pay off, but it's a huge grind. One thing I do want to ask about is what is a grind when it comes to podcasting? I know when I first started, it was the editing to me. It was the editing and marketing and this and that. Now I'm kind of, I'm the same way you are. The publishers will come to me. The agents will come to me. It takes away some of it, but getting the product out there work to where you're one day you're going to explode. What is the grind like for you or the hustle? Uh, <clears throat> you know, it's so funny. I, I don't want to talk out of both sides of my mouth. The grind is part of the enjoyment for me. <laughs> I think it's because even in high school, when my buddies were out playing ball, I would grab my headphones. I'd go down to a studio and I would sit there and practice what's called walking up a post, which is when the song starts and when the vocal starts, you have to stop talking. So I'd practice that, segueing, making two songs blend, getting the rap down, making sure your timing was good. So I've been kind of preparing and practicing this since I was 15. So the grind is just a muscle memory to me. Um, the, the Like if I take a show... <laughs> I'm not going to mention their name. I had a guest on oh, a while back, and when they spoke, it was like, well, they um, felt uh, like they – right? Uh-huh. Just that. And I'm like, oh, my God. Okay, how do I do this? Now, in audio, that's easy from the standpoint of you just take the gaps out yep. and there's a piece of software I just turned uh, someone on to recently. I can tell you about that makes the job like that, which is crazy, but video wise, you can't do the same thing because the, the scene would be jumping, jump cutting all the time. So back to the grind, the, the grind is making sure that the audio is right. And the video is right. And I put in the lower, th- I build all the lower thirds. I do all the artwork. I build a little piece of, ads that go along with it. I do all of that in either Photoshop or another program. And I suppose the downside of the grind is you, here it is. You wonder on any given day, does anybody give a, are they listening? Do they care? Is it, are they effective? Uh, Are they being affected? Um, Will anybody ever go, wow, this guy's really got it. That's the grind to me. That's the part that I can't, 
quite controlled that frustrates me. But I think like anything, if you if you put in the time and the passion is there, that's the key. That's that's how I can constantly go because I freaking love what I do. You know, you hit another time you hit the nail on the head. The grind is different. The grind and hustle. The hustle to me is like, hey, you know what? I got to I got to get this into other audiences. But the grind, I love it. I love trying to become professional at it. Social media is the same way with me for that reason is so I could find what other people are doing that are working. And then I also use YouTube all the time. I just, I'm always trying to learn something new. And that's the same way, whether it's shooting, whether it's podcasting, whether it's losing weight, getting in shape, always got to learn. I can't just waste my, it's hard for me to waste my time. Yeah, um, I, I totally agree with you. And it's funny, Tammy will often, I'll, I'll be talking to Tammy and I'll, <clears throat> I'll go, man, uh, someone will write in and say, hey, d- dude, I want to start a podcast. What kind of a microphone should I get? Now, I can very easily sit down, Jason, if you had called me, and I could spend an hour telling you the right microphone, how to so- sound dead in your room, the right booth, how to do compressors. This I can tell you everything. And I said to Tammy one day, I'm like, everybody knows all that stuff. I mean, and she goes, no, they don't. And she said, why don't you teach that? I'm like, you know, maybe one day I'll create a course that's like a subsidiary of the show. And, you know, if you wanted to start podcasting and so forth, because all that stuff is as second nature to me as um, buying, disassembling and reassembling a gun for you. Or I'd like to say, I feel the same way. And I could imagine someone saying the same thing to me when it comes to being a criminal investigator, or a special agent. You think just because after a while you do this stuff for 15, 20 years, you think everybody else knows it. Yeah. You think, yeah, you, you know, any other street cop, anybody knows that. But after a while, you remember like, huh. That one thing you do know about is writing. And I want the last part of our segment here to be talking about your protagonists. Let's talk about your books. And when did you first write your first book? And was this one of those things that was like, as you're doing radio, you're like, huh, I'm going to write a book. It's funny you should say that very thing. I don't know if you've heard me tell this story before, but I've always, I've always been a big reader. My mom was a, a, a practical librarian and we had books around the house and we were always reading and so forth. But it wasn't until I was in about three fourths of the way through my professional radio career, I was doing a stint on satellite radio. Well, satellite radio is about as boring as radios possibly can get because at that time it wasn't what XM Sirius is now. It was generic. So I was in Los Angeles on Westwood One Radio Network and Armed Forces Radio Network simultaneously. So I'm all the way around the globe at the same time. So I couldn't get on and say, hey, good morning, 720, 20 minutes after 7 o'clock on the, you know, big money. Because in, I I remember, uh, God, I can't remember the conflict it was at that time, but uh, guys on the other side of the world would be listening to my album Rock Show, uh, you know, playing rock music. So I couldn't say, hey, we'll see you downtown at such and such. So anyway, the point being, you had to speak in generic. You could read the headlines, but the headlines had to be generic. So I got bored. And I would go down the hall to a secretary's desk, pick up the IBM Selectric, come in, which is why to this day I still love that typewriter, sit there and just bang out little short stories. I'd have an idea and I'd start a short story and I'd I'd like, okay, that's cool. And I'd stick it in a folder. 
the same folder I have 25, 30 years later. And I know that one day that's going to turn into something. And that's how it started. But to your more pointed question, the very first book was um, a book that I thought it might have been NaNoWriMo. And I said, I'm, I'm going to write this book. I want to see if I can do this. What the heck? I mean, oh, I know what it was because I had I, had, I took one of my dribble thoughts one Christmas. I went home. My sister, who is an English major, now a Ph.D., I said, sis, take a look at some of this crap and see if it's anything. And she starts, she goes, oh, my gosh, you should be writing. So it was the first time someone said, do this. I'll I'll make this short. So I went and sat down and started writing this book. And I didn't, I knew I wasn't going to get published. So I'm like, well, what's this self-publishing world? This is about 2002, 2003. I'll just learn that. So I learned that. What's a book cover? Learn that. How do you do layout? Learn that. WordPress, type pad, learn that. <laughs> and bang it out and made the book and, you know, printed up some copies. I don't even think it's on the shelf and sold, you know, so probably 20 or maybe 30 copies. And I was off to the races. The interesting part of that story is not to jump ahead and I see my time's ticking, but that book which was a faith-based homage to my past father, I later, 20 years later, when a buddy of mine and I got together, I didn't know how to do a screenplay, so I learned how to write a screenplay, adapted it, went and raised the money, and turned it into a film. And it's on Netflix and Amazon Prime right now. Chasing Grace, right? Chasing Grace, yeah. You know... You have all the time in the world for the Protectors <laughs> podcast. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I'm kind of tongue-tied right now because I'm like, you're doing everything. A lot of us in this podcast game world and this writing and everything, we all kind of have a lot of similarities about learning how to do it. And people need to understand that they can learn to do anything. You want to self-publish? Self-publish. You want to write? Write. You want to get it published? Do it yourself if you can't get it, if you can't get anything out there. Not everybody's going to be like a Jack Carr, Brad Thor, Brad Taylor, Mark Greeny. It doesn't happen like that. But you know what? They put their time into, they wrote, they wrote, they wrote, and they queried. Yeah. So do it. And same thing with this. Like you you said, you talked to someone about podcasting. I'm like, you know what? The information's out there. Take the step. It's ridiculous, Jason. For anybody who wanted to get into podcasting to think that they couldn't do it, it is the easiest thing in the world to get started. And the technology today, compared to when I started, uh, let's just say when I started radio, the technology now is so insane. My dog Dexter could start a podcast tomorrow. It's that easy. I mean, you, you, the the barrier of entry is not existent. No, and some people were saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to start it with my phone. I'm like, yeah, you can. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, you have to learn. Make sure you just focus on audio. If you're going to do an audio one, make sure you at least sound right. And remember, you're, this isn't just you. If you want people to listen to it, you have to be entertaining. Yeah. You know? And I do want, you know, one thing I have mentioned is your podcast is the Thriller Zone. Yeah. I got to remember that. You know? You're wearing the hat, the Thriller Zone. So everybody out there do that. I do want to talk about one thing about today's one thing to talk about after our million other things is building your protagonist for your books. 
Yeah. But I cannot let you out of here without you tell me what makes up the recipe for a good protagonist for your books or let's just go with other books too. Um, uh, okay. From, uh, since we're in the thriller genre, the thriller zone is primarily about thrillers and there's a big announcement coming, uh, in June that will further expand the thriller world, but, uh, on the thriller zone, um, if you've got to grab me, I, it used to be, you, Jason, it used to be you got to grab me from the first page. Then it became kind of the paragraph. Now you got to grab me from that first sentence. And as I prepare for all my shows and I try to read every single book of every guest I have on the show, man, if you don't grab me on that first page and I'm really going to try to dedicate to being prepared for your show, it's going to be miserable if it's not interesting. But my recipe for a good protagonist is somebody that you care about in some form or fashion. You can be big and bold or small and tentative. You can be cruel or you can be loving. You can be broken or you can be fixed. You can be whatever you want. But that protagonist has got to be somebody that is relatable and real and has a sense of heart to them. Um, my protagonist in both the poser and the imposter, which detective Pat Norelli, a female, uh, that, the reason I chose females, a whole nother story. Um, uh, but is someone I thought would be a strong woman. Cause I wanted to see more when I started that I wanted to see more strong female leads that, um, we're not going to take crap from anybody that were their own person that were flawed, maybe even broken, chipped at the edge, but they were really trying to do their best and they were good at what they did and they lived from passion. It's all about passion for me. If you're passionate about something, you should be killing it every single day. If you're not passionate, then why are you doing it? So I think it starts there. Excellent. Put the passion thing. I always think about the protagonist. Well, one, they're nine times out of 10, they have some sort of broken piece of them. But they're always passionate about something. They're always passionate about whether it's solving the crime or you got the old Harry Bosch from the Michael Connolly books. Like everybody matters or nobody matters or everybody counts or nobody counts. One of those things he says, but it's the truth. They're passionate about solving that crime, passionate about getting to the end of it. Excellent point. Excellent point. And yeah, I think that kind of wraps it up. You know, you always have people asking questions at the end. You always have questions for them. I did yeah. have a good one. I've always been using a zombie one. I need to come up with a good one. What should I start asking people at the end of the show? Yeah, I, uh, well, let's see. I always ask all the authors, what's their single best piece of advice? Um, I think because everybody is going to tell you, there might be a, a, a similar flavor, but there's a specificity that everybody has that makes, that sets them apart. It's a fingerprint. And then when I do this thing called the uh, rapid fire questions, which is never really rapid, um, I just like to I put them in situations that make them think outside their standard comfort zone or it's something that's just pure fun and silliness. It doesn't have to be serious. Um, but I think my my walk away is always best piece of advice because I'm always trying to find. I mean, let's face it. If I want to know how to shoot a gun, uh uh, I have very few friends who are masters with guns. Jack Carr, you, uh, I could rattle off a few more that I, that I know I could call up and say, Jason, um, I'm thinking about getting this gun. 
is this gun or this gun better, right? As an example. So I'm going to turn to people who know what they know and they know it best. I mean, isn't that kind of just smart? Well, then I got something for you then. I usually give it my usual one for people who are like guns having stuff is I put them, you're in a field, 90 yards around you, you're on top of a hill and there's a hundred zombies coming at you and they're all within 90 yards. And then I'd say, okay, you can pick these three guns. But with you, I want to know what is the best piece of advice for anybody that is midway through. Let's say they have, I'm not going to say midway. They have about five or six episodes of their podcast done and they're starting to feel it. And they're like, uh, I don't know if I should go on. Best piece of advice for going on and sticking with it. Um, well, let's see. It's going to be multifaceted, as everything I say is. First of all, you know that if you continue to practice, you're always going to get better. Do you think? I look back at my very first show, which was last June 17th of last year, May Cobb, The Hunting Wives. The show that I'm doing today so far surpasses that show and in just 11 months. So practice makes perfect. Uh, if you're not passionate about it, it is going to show. It's going to show. It's going to, sh- if it's not going to show today, it's going to show what am I on episode? Frank Zafiro is tomorrow episode 67. Um, if I wasn't still digging it, You'd see it in my face or hear it in my voice on on 67. But, dude, I got 6,700 ahead of me. So that's the other thing. I know where I want to go. And this is another good piece of advice. Because I've always been so tenacious. If I set my eye on something and look at any of my career, if I set it out there and I know that that's what I really want and I'm not going to hurt anyone getting there, and, and I know the skill set it requires to make it to that point. Nothing is going to stop me. So tenacity and then patience. I mean, you're not going to be I'm going to use Joe Rogan only because he's the number one most listened to podcast in America. You're not going to be Joe Rogan in three months. No. Um, because you haven't learned how to now I've really been rattling because I felt like I had a time ticking on me and it's not my venue. So I'm trying to cram it as much as I can, but you know, you can't expect to be that overnight. He put in the time you're going to put in the time. You got to be willing to put in the time and Hey, look, I'm reading this uh, over breakfast this morning. Steal like an artist by Austin, Austin Cleon. Great book. I read it in like in breakfast. Um, stealing is if there's there's nothing new under the world there's nobody doing a all the podcasts are the same it's a microphone and or a camera and we're talking okay hi we've been doing that since caveman well maybe not the microphone um but you just got to put in the time there i love it excellent advice and you're never under the time limit here I used to do, you know, I always tell people it's going to be a 25 minute show. I think that's what I remember. Yeah. Cause I'm like, eh, it's 25 minutes. But then some guests, it's really like trying to get to about 15, 20 minutes. You're like, Oh, what am I going to talk about next? And yeah, with you, with you, it's like, we can go for like seven hours talking about the, the intricate details of it. But David, I do appreciate you coming on. I do want everybody to check out your podcast and, 
definitely check out your books and and see what you got going on because you're doing a lot. You're still doing a lot, and I like how you are focused. I've got about another four thousand episodes in me. I think. Um, you know, the I think I'm going to beat this over the head so that you walk away remembering it. It really is about passion. If you're loving it, it'll come easy. If you're hating it, do something else. Because, and I'm not going to bore you with statistics, but the number of podcasts that are dropping every single day and the ability to get to that, to rise to the top is insurmountable, feels insurmountable. But you know what? The same thing here, Jason. Uh, if you walk into a Barnes and Noble and you scan the room side to side at a 180 and you want to be a writer and you look at those books and you think, well, shoot, I can't compete with this. Well, then call it right there. Go down the coffee shop, slurp a nine dollar oversweetened soda drink, whatever, and call it a day. You know, you can't it's look at it that the way. The absolute truth. Yeah. Passion. Yeah. Whether that's writing, podcasting, radio, or anything. Yeah. Well, David, I appreciate you coming on, man. I'm looking forward to having more conversations with you. Hey, would you come on my show? I thought I was scheduled. I'm not. What's going on here? <laughs> huh? I don't think you are yet, but I will before I'm, we, I'm uh, waiting for the invite. You know, I'm and I'm waiting for that invite and I'm waiting for that Jack Carr box that ever I think everybody got one except me. <laughs> uh, I didn't get one either, dude. Oh, Jack Carr. Okay, we're talking to you. Yeah, I uh I was yeah, David. I was thinking, you know, he'd be perfect for the thriller zone, but mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> 